on this episode arsenal stake a claim to man city's title as haland hits a drought united uh, are they about to turn a corner and liverpool marching onward and upward this and more in the tokitaka podcast Hello listeners, welcome to the latest edition of the Talkie Taka podcast. On the panel today, we have Ashwin and Radhaji who are coming back to life ever since the international break got over and club football is returning. We've uh, tolerated two weeks of international football. We'll have some interesting games like Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, Brighton, Liverpool versus Everton. And there's much, much more coming up. Let's get into it. To start off with, Radhaji, what's your talkie point? Hey Swag, yeah, so um, my talking moment is going back a couple of weeks and Arsenal actually showing the world that they are uh, in this title race for reals, um, beating Manchester City, no mean feat. I felt Manchester City were boring again like they were in the community shield and I think Arsenal um, got three huge points. I think the league is wide open this year. I think we talked about uh, last last time out, we talked about how Spurs and Arsenal are doing well, but perhaps still not the the kind of machine that we expect to be winning the title or that we've seen over the last five years. So, yeah, I mean, blowing the title race wide open and Arsenal are here to stay, that's my talking moment. Yep, yep. Hopefully, we'll have an even better title race than last season. Here's hoping. Uh, Ashwin, what's your talking point going to be? Uh, the ownership saga of Man United. Uh, United have a really funny way of making fans miserable and lousy even when they're not playing. Uh, so I think that is what happened. Uh, we were all hoping for a, a you know, um, full sale from the Glazers. And it looks like uh, you know Radcliffe is going to buy 25%. It's still not ratified. So we don't even know if that is going to happen. Uh, but yeah, the saga continues. So maybe uh, we have reached a point where we can actually see some light at the end of the tunnel. Interestingly, it says, I mean, the dirt sheets say that he'll take 25% as part of maybe a phase takeover in the future. But with this 25%, he wants to take over the operations of the club. So the Glazers continue to do the commercial bit and he wants to have the director of football and the recruitment, etc. It's it's all a bit weird if you ask me. What isn't about Man United these days, right? That's what you've been saying for, for the last five years, at least. <laughs> right. So for me, the talkie point is going to be this plucky underdog story where San Marino scored a goal in the Euro qualifiers after 24 games and went mental. And they scored against Denmark, not a mean feat by any stretch of the imagination. They equalized in the second half and for 10 minutes they were at level pegging and it was quite a lot of fun for them. They ended up losing 2-1 but uh, it was it was a very good feeling uh, for them. So yeah, one for the minnows there. Yeah, so I mean, Swag came so close to talking about his own minnow Luxembourg, but clearly they couldn't get the job done. All our illustrious podcast listeners are very excited to learn about San Marino and Luxembourg in the international week. So go ahead, Swag, tell us what happened to Luxembourg. Ah, uh, okay. First of all, comparing San Marino and Luxembourg, which is funny comparing knowing the size of Luxembourg. Luxembourg has 600,000 people. San Marino has probably 30,000. So Luxembourg were in prime position to end up at second spot in their group behind Portugal and qualify for the first time ever for a Euros or a World Cup. They would have been prime position if they would have beaten Slovakia at home. So just before that, the Luxembourg team missed an open goal in the 90th minute to draw against Iceland. Uh, they would have played Slovakia in Luxembourg and if they would have won they would have been like a point away from getting to the Euros which they promptly failed to do because I blame it all on the illustrious podcasts out there the the AC Jimbos and the Max Rushdens who talked about Luxembourg and they promptly 
went ahead and lost the game. So now the Nations League uh, backdoor entry is the option that Luxembourg has. But even that's, I think, progress, I guess. As you can see, listeners, we're on the edge of our seats, waiting to see what happens to Luxembourg in their <laughs> qualification sprint to the Euros. We'll be tuning into that Nations League tournament whenever that is. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's come back to our good old Premier League and um, Radhaji, as you said, uh, Arsenal showing themselves to be the real deal in terms of the title challenge. We've, we're convening after the Arsenal City game for the first time. So uh, I would say it was a very even game and just shaded by Arsenal and probably in the minds of neutrals like probably all three of us, uh, considering those tackles by Kovacic, which would have merited a red card had the referee been competent, it was probably fair that Arsenal got the win at the end. What would you say about that? This week on VAR Watch. (laughs) Yeah. Let's make a new section in our podcast, uh, just talking about VAR and decisions. It was ridiculous, I felt. Okay, arguable decision for it to be a red card in the first one. A straight red in the first one. Um, but the second one, a few minutes later, that is as clear as they come as a red. Here I here I am sitting and watching this a week after the Liverpool debacle where we had somebody sent off for a direct red for an accidental challenge. And then Jota, who pretty much didn't do anything for the first yellow and then a silly second yellow got sent off. And here we see proper studs contact twice and he doesn't get sent off. That's really, I, do, I don't know. I don't know where to hide and what to say. I was watching the Newcastle game. I saw that somebody got a yellow card for asking for a yellow card. So I guess that's back. Uh, we just went like four or five weeks without that happening after the first couple of weeks. Um, in the Liverpool game, there was a penalty where there was an absolute random tackle uh, as the last man with no attempt to play the ball, no red card. I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words when it comes to refereeing. But coming to the game, I think, uh, like I was saying in my talkie moment as well, uh, I think I think City were very boring. Um, I think that's giving me a little bit of hope for the, for the league this year. Um, they look like they are a team that can be worked out. Now, is that to do with uh, them just finding their feet without Kevin De Bruyne? Maybe it's just a matter of time. But we're also we have to keep in mind that they've lost Gundogan, who's been a constant in their in their team for a long time. Comes up with important goals, uh, always available at the edge of the box. I think they're missing a lot of key pieces. Uh, last all through last season, we were talking about how they were a little too blasé in getting rid of uh, some of their players, important squad players, without perhaps getting a lot of depth added. Now, Julian Alvarez is possibly one of the top players in the league at this moment in time. But is this going to be enough for them to sustain over a period, over a longer period? I have to say that it is just a few weeks ago that they were looking untouchable. So, uh, we can't get too far ahead of ourselves. But Arsenal should be very happy. I think they are having a series of mental wins, mental superiority over the last two, three seasons where they're beating teams that they earlier had a hoodoo against. They beat Liverpool, they beat uh, Man City and uh, we saw from the documentary how important some of these things are for Arteta and his mentality in the squad. So, I think Arsenal are going from strength to strength. I still don't think they're firing on all cylinders but a big win against Man City. Man City, two two losses in a row. Um, you can't really write that off as a small blip. It is an important thing when everything is so close at the top. So, yeah, I think Arsenal on the right track, City on the wrong track and the league is wide open. Yeah, I think I think uh, you hit the nail on the head by saying that it was a big mental win for Arteta and Co. There are a few things that worked for them, right? So, the fact that Rodri wasn't playing certainly helped. He's kind of that anchor in the midfield that City have and, uh, you know, he kind of dictates the play as well. Uh, the fact that William Saliba had Haaland in his pocket obviously helped. Like, what a game by uh, for William Saliba. I've never seen Haaland being dominated by any defender in the league like that. Uh, although he has had a few bad games in the Bundesliga, but not in the Premier League. Uh, 
And then, and, and I, I would also is, say... Is, is that a veiled attempt at saying that Premier League is the Farmers League? <laughs> Nothing like that. I, I obviously rate Premier League much higher than the Bundesliga. Third thing uh, was the, uh, the the overall mood in the Emirates. It's not, it's, it has definitely changed over the last one or two years. It doesn't feel like, you know, that dead library that it used to be, that people used to troll Emirates as, right? Like, it, there's this genuine belief that you can see and sense at the Emirates. I think that really helped as well. Um, and then, um, I mean, the ref obviously tried, or VAR obviously tried to make it as boring a game as it is possible for all of us to watch with some of some really horrendous decision. Uh, I would still say, I think, uh, Arsenal deserved to win. They had more shots on target. City, I don't think they did enough. They were definitely going into the final third, but then nothing happened. So, um, I think all in all, it, it was a really good win for Arsenal. Uh, it's definitely a statement of intent. Uh, and it sees the two North London club at the top, which which is definitely very interesting. And how do you see this playing out with Arsenal playing Chelsea away next? So, this has been a big series of games for Arsenal. They played Spurs, then they played City. Now, they've got... Uh, Chelsea, who not in their previous glory, but still uh, a big enough club and potentially showing some signs of resurgence, he says, while crossing his heart. Um, and uh, potentially a tough game, but uh, on current form, you'd have to give it to Arsenal, right? Yeah, I would say, like, I mean, just on the basis of how the two teams currently, like, uh, Pochettino is obviously trying to build something, right? Like, the the team has been very erratic. They have had some decent wins. They've had some draws. But mostly, there have been, like, some really humiliating losses. So, um, at at this spur of moment, no pun intended, um, Arsenal definitely are looking like the stronger team. Uh, and I would say that it is it is probably a game that we should expect Arsenal to, you know, win. Comfortably. I don't know if it's going to be comfortable. Uh, Chelsea are finally starting to score goals. Um, so they, maybe they're they're riding a bit of a wave as well. We all were talking about how the XG is looking fine. Everything is looking good. Creativity is there. It was just about getting those goals in. Um, so yeah, you can never write it off as a, as an, as a given that they're going to win. That said... When I was saying that the Premier League is heating up, the fixtures for some of these teams that are coming up are really tasty. Like we're talking about Arsenal playing uh, Chelsea this week. Um, after that, they move to I think uh, they have a reasonably easy game against Sheffield, but then then Newcastle. So two big games in the next three game weeks for Arsenal and their direct competition for the title. Man City are going into a hell hole of fixtures right now. Um, so they're playing, uh, of course, they're playing Brighton, who is one of the toughest fixtures in the league these days. Uh, next week, I think they go to. I think they're playing United. Um, they play uh, Chelsea in a bit after that. They play Liverpool straight after Chelsea. They play Tottenham straight after Liverpool. So they're getting into a really difficult um, run of fixtures. Tottenham are playing uh, two two tough games as well in the next five. So I think everybody at the top are playing some really challenging games. Um, it's going to be a really exciting time. I think this is the... So, in test cricket, they say that day three is moving day. I think we are entering into the moving day phase of uh, the season for the Premier League. Um, Man City could very well find themselves in fourth place at the end of this five-game, six-game stretch. You, you never know. And depending on how Arsenal can keep their cool and do it, they might be... Eight points clear of Man City by the by the end of this stretch. So it's it's all it could open up at the same time. Liverpool could have to could get a leg up on some of these guys as well. Yeah, and a couple of things on that. Um, when we talk about Man City, definitely two names come to the fore. One is Haaland, who had like a 0.0 xG against Arsenal and has 
only scored eight goals this season so far, which is a far cry compared to the 19 he had at this stage last season. So he's going through one of his droughts, if you can call it that. And uh, Rodri's absence, uh, as Ashwin, you hinted earlier, that has had a significant impact. I think they've lost all three games they've played ever since he was suspended. I think he should be back for uh, this weekend. So unlucky for Brighton, but uh, he's had a tremendous impact on the team. He holds them together and him not being there showed that the backup for once, the squad options for Man City did not work. Calvin Phillips was not even preferred to come on as a starter. Uh, Kovacic was preferred to him. What I'm a little miffed about is the scheduling of the international games this season where you basically have two games in in the league then you have a break then you have two games then you have a break so you don't get a chance to create any momentum you have a very high chance because it's the end part of the qualifiers as well so you have a high chance of uh, injury risk for your uh, key players as well because they're uh, going all out to try and secure their positions for uh, next year's euros most of them and uh, that's 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 breaking up the premier league at probably the worst possible times as as you said rather you have this interesting run coming up for man city where they've got these five games but that's probably going to be interspersed in between with this international break and then uh, as fans of football you'd like to see everyone at full strength and going at it hammer and tongs we can't do that this season but yeah that's that's those are the cards we've been dealt and those are the cards we must play but yeah, I would agree that Arsenal definitely, as you guys said, uh, looking good. Let's see if they can keep at it. You mentioned also that uh, Brighton is one of the toughest fixtures and City have them at home uh, this weekend. What are your thoughts on this? Because many a times this season we've heard that when Guardiola leaves Man City, Roberto De Zerbi is also touted as one of the options for his replacement and Guardiola, just like Fergie, will be heavily involved in picking his successor. Is this basically a chance for Deserby to provide his audition tape to the sheikhs at uh, the Etihad? Yeah, it's a it's an opportunity for Brighton to lay a marker in their season as well. I think Brighton have had a patchy couple of games as well. Uh, they got smashed um, uh, just a couple of weeks ago and then against Liverpool as well. Uh, they looked like they could have lost that game quite easily as well, um, especially in the uh, end of the first half and the beginning of the second half. So, yeah, I think there's a there's a place that I think Deserby is looking at City saying, we can win this game. We can get three points. I think that's all it's going to be. Now, it's a very... A tricky thing to talk about one who replaces somebody like a Pep or even Klopp uh, for that for that matter, and things change really fast in football. Um, a lot of people were really riding high on um, the the previous Brighton manager who eventually joined Chelsea, and we all saw how that worked out. So um, and we all there was a lot of buzz about somebody like a Steven Gerrard who got into the Villa job. Maybe his next job is going to be a big one, and we all saw how that went. Now everybody's talking about Xabi Alonso. You never know how it's going to be in, in two years, two years' time, right? I don't think Pep is leaving. If I'm didn't he there's a lot of talk right now about him renewing as well. Don't don't even get into the topic about the next manager. I think Pep is here to stay for a while. Um so yeah, uh, once that I think it's about who's the best manager in the world at that time when Pep leaves. Deserby may continue to be at the top at that point of time, then maybe he's a realistic short but at this moment in time I don't think he's anywhere near that conversation for any large team I think he's just focusing on Brighton Brighton need to have a couple of good seasons as well this is just his first season with Brighton as well let's not forget that so I think Brighton are also beginning to show a little bit of the chaos gene so um, they can win handsomely look really good and then get absolutely smashed has happened twice already this season so uh, jury's out uh, I think uh, Brighton are looking very good. They can beat any team on their day and hopefully that's Man City. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think uh, it's too early to call uh, Deserby as, you know, a world beater or someone in the ilk of Pep or Klopp even. Uh, I know 
Pep Guardiola would probably come out uh, and say that he's the best thing he's ever seen. You know, that's usually his tactic. He would he would just big up the, uh, you know, the other guys. Probably some something of an RK, but you know, a football <laughs> manager RK version because he he likes to jinx his opposition quite a bit. But uh, he but... he usually bigs up uh, the teams who he has beaten more comprehensively, even more. Oh no, we beat them seven nil, but they were amazing. He never says that when he's beaten someone two one with a ninety third minute winner. Yeah, he's like, yeah. He's very patronizing in that. I I absolutely hate that bit about him. Uh, yeah, except Spurs, right? I think he all he has something. Spurs have something against him. Uh, but anyway, talking about the game in itself, obviously, uh, Rodri would be back. And uh, a wounded city is probably the worst city that you can uh, possibly face, right? Uh, and Brighton, I know they, they they had some really good games and they have won. Uh, they won at Old Trafford. Uh, they got the draw against Liverpool as well. But they also lost some games that they were expected to either draw or win. That loss against, that big loss against Aston Villa is still fresh on my mind. Um, so, again, uh, I think, I think, the fact that City lost the previous game, the fact that um, they've lost, well, they've lost three in a row now, uh, and 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 the fact that you know a lot of egos are also impacted as a result uh, would mean that City go all guns blazing in this game. Um, um, and I, I, if I were Brighton, I would be worried about Holland as well because you know a lot of people are. Uh, Trolled him on social media that he's a one season one, including me, by the way. Uh, but uh, but I think I think this is the game where you know he really comes up and he he potentially punishes Brighton. Okay, talking about Haaland, a lot of people have suffered this season in fantasy because we've kept Haaland, we've kept faith with Haaland. He's always been our captain, and he's been down in the dumps. All of us, I guess, are part of that club. Uh, but uh, talking about FPL leagues, it's still Paul Preston up top. It's still Edward Mitchell, but from the group of the Talkitaka podcasters, it's Ashwin Sridhar who's taken over uh, Anirudh Krishnan's team. What's your um, success story? There is no. Are we talking about mid-table teams now? Uh, no, there's, there's, there's no success story. I think Radha's team has just been bad. <laughs> so that has mean I'm naturally gone up. But I think <laughs> I've not got a lot of red arrows. Is what I would say. I've just like you know beaten the average scores. Uh, I've still not used my wild card. I'm saving it for game week ten. Um, I think a lot of people, including Radha, have used their wild card already. I've used uh, it already. Have you? Yeah. Uh, what's what's game week ten? Give us the inside goss there. It's just I think this week is probably the worst week to use wildcard because of the international uh, fixtures and uh, you know people or players coming back from them. Uh, I think the fixtures aren't that great as well. I think game week ten would give us a better story of you know. Um, what players you should be going with for the next 10 15 game weeks uh, that's that's my philosophy at least uh, i i'm one of those people who actually captained haland myself uh, it's kind of annoying because the week prior to that i didn't I didn't captain him and it did score so that's that's the world of fpl right uh, i would love to get some liverpool players in especially salah but i can't afford it uh, well, yeah. you could have you could have been like me who took Mbuemo after all this pointing out by Radhajin. Ever since I've taken him, poor chap hasn't scored a single goal. I blame myself for his for his unlucky streak. Yeah, I've I've dropped him. So um, if 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 you're looking for a hot tip, then I've already dropped him. So I've over the last uh, before the previous game week, I got Darwin in, um, and I think Darwin is going to be a with the fixtures that we have, I think he's going to be a solid pick um, going forward. He looked great in both of Uruguay's international games, scored and assisted against Brazil when they beat them 2-0 just 36 hours ago or how many hours ago it was. So, uh, I think he's looking in good form. Even in the Brighton game, he looked really good. He didn't have his typical chances, which he, which you always see with Darwin when he's on the pitch. But his interplay and his uh, he had an assist as well. He assisted Salah's goal. Uh, his involvement in play is now far superior to anything that we saw last season. 
so he's a good shout to bring into the team um estupinian is is out uh, for a while um saka is a little bit there here and there with injury so is mitoma so it's going to be a very difficult week to um uh, to figure out what's going to happen from a fantasy point of view darwin himself like just travel from south america south america as well so that's a bit of a problem but yeah fixtures wise i think liverpool is a good team to uh, to go to get behind uh, i'm i'm not captaining haland this season, this week so just putting it out there i'm taking that uh, that step so here's fully expecting a haland hat trick <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think one team to definitely look out for this game week is spurs because they're playing for in my in my team uh, which is which is which is funny because son did not score when i took him uh, so i'm hoping there's some redemption there and he he bags a brace at least so to give me uh, the points and you know reward me for the faith that i have uh, kept on him so hey, also yeah. just by the way before we uh, move on um, for the one hit wonder he's still top of the golden boot uh race with eight goals in eight games so yeah i think we have to cool our jets a bit there but yeah i think his disappointing season is still 25 goals yeah we shall see but uh, someone who's not been having a disappointing season is definitely scott mctominay not only did he score those two goals in stoppage time for man united he scored like what seven goals for scotland in the euro qualification he's he's like second top scorer for this euro qualification overall just behind romelu lukaku so this this manchester united connection there as well so coming to their team man united um, fergie time winner fergie time equalizer and fergie time winner from a guy who i think we talked about last week of, as being one of the guys who shunned to the side should have should have left and all of that so yeah i guess good job toki taka <laughs> you're all about and, the jinxes here and um, and a scotsman to boot so yeah i mean listen Obviously, he's finding it's, it so tough to talk nice things about his club look at him no but see the thing is he is he is an average player great that he got those two goals i'm happy beyond delighted that we are we, we are able to talk about a win finally i think it's that sort of luck that we kind of deserved as well because we started the season well we lost a few games that we possibly shouldn't have the the i mean we didn't have luck on our side at all and i think scott was probably in the right place at the right time uh, you know one thing that you can't um discredit scott mctominay about is the passion that he has he is one of the most passionate players out there uh, in the roster and over the past few weeks what i could see is that the likes of bruno the likes of rashford all the elite players that we have in the club they weren't playing with pride they weren't playing with passion right uh, especially rashford like his his decision making has been so erratic he he gets he gets frustrated and annoyed with his teammates as well so the fact that we have some guy who's actually taking the onus and the initiative was really good to see i would still say that i don't see a future for scott mctominay at, at the club uh, like he has been used primarily by all the managers as a number 6 and I, that's not something that i would like him to do um so if bayern munich and fulham come back with a 60 70 million bid i'm happy for them to pay and like take scott away uh having said that the game itself uh, of course united had like double the amount of shots on on target compared to brentford but do you expect that from from uh, from from united against brentford uh and brentford had like one clear tactic in mind they wanted to play with a low block and united could not break that and ten hag realized that and thankfully made the changes in the second half uh and uh, glad and i'm glad that it worked out i mean that is all i have to say about it yeah and um i think a lot from a football cliche point of view a lot of red flags when somebody says he's not the most, most talented but you can never doubt his passion i think that's one of those things that you that a lot of players who are substandard typically we say 
uh, we use that phrase a lot. Uh, there are obviously some very good players who we say that about as well. Roy Keane, Jordan Henderson, uh, other players where that is always said. But for me, that phrase, you can't doubt his passion is like, you know, when... Uh, when a guy or a girl is not very good looking, they say, but the personality is really nice. I think it's that kind of uh, compliment, underhanded compliment. And I agree with Ashwin. I think his days are definitely numbered um, at United. Uh, but let's talk about the elephant in the room, Andre Onana with another clangor. And I think you mentioned that somebody who's not had luck on his side or has had luck on his side, uh, I think Onana's definitely not had any luck on his side this season and it seems to be a real problem. It's not just the Brentford game, it was also the Galatasaray game before. Uh, uh, like every time Onana gets the bo- uh, ball, I have my heart in my mouth because he's, like, he, he, he is liable to make those mistakes. But in this particular goal, I wouldn't just say it was Onana's fault. It started with Casemiro losing the ball, right? So at the the middle of the pitch, never seen Casemiro do anything of that sort. At least not in the previous season, right? Like he was that one uh, one player you, you are assured can keep the ball, pass the ball to the right player, uh, open play up as well. But this season he seems to be a very different person altogether. And then after that, what happened is just. It was just comical. I think that clearance from uh, Lindelof and then we tried clearing it twice. I think Dallow was involved there as well or something of that sort happened. And then obviously Onana dived, but he didn't dive on time and the ball basically went under his hand. Like It was it was just a comical goal to concede. Uh, and I remember this time last year, we were having a goal at David De Gea against Brentford for doing something similar. Um, I'm not saying that we did not we did not make the right signing or we did not take the right decision by buying a different goalkeeper. I think the time was ripe to do that. But Onana definitely hasn't started well. He knows that. Uh, again, I'm going to make one of those passion kind of statements again by saying that there is one thing that he doesn't lack and that is confidence. So, um, if there is, like, I expect him to bounce back, but he hasn't started well at all. I think he has an opportunity, rather you question how you can have this change of fortunes in the middle of a season. There is a window of opportunity for him to do that when he goes away for the AFCON in January. Maybe a change of setting, change of setup can get him back refreshed. I don't know. Hopefully, we'll see. Uh, It'll be interesting to see uh, United play with the second keeper, the Turkish guy whose name, unfortunately, I don't know. But uh, I would have hoped that they would have started blooding him now so that he's not thrown to the wolves basically when when Onana is not there. But the way things are going, I think they've not been able to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the if if Ten Hag had confidence in that Turkish keeper whose name even I can't pronounce, um, I think he would have probably started him against Brentford because. The the two goals that Onana actually shipped in uh, against Galatasaray. If you're not going to make the change after that, you I don't know when you're going to make make the change. I think he'll probably wait for uh, the FA Cup or like some of some cup game to give uh, the, uh, the the second goalkeeper a chance. Uh, I think on maybe Ten Hag trusts that Onana would do what he's asked to do. Uh, Maybe he trusts that, you know, Onana is the kind of personality who can bounce back very quickly as opposed to someone like David De Gea. Who... I don't think he's going to... Um, I think it, the yeah you have to keep faith with Onana. There's no other choice about it until it's forced upon them in January when they have to change keepers. You have to keep faith with Onana. But yeah, uh, it's not about any positional inaccuracies that we maybe people were just easily uh, afraid of. But it's been basic short-stopping things which have happened in the last three games now. Fenerbahce, not Fenerbahce, Galatasaray, um, the, the, and the two Premier League games that were uh, sandwiching that uh, Champions League game as well. He's had a couple of uh, mistakes. So I think it's just about getting a run of five games without doing something crazy. Uh, and I don't mean crazy, you know, Nana crazy, but just basically not making a mistake. Uh, that's that's what it'll take. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's a high pressure situation right now for him. Yeah, and if you need 
to sign a free agent in January. There's someone who's just returned to Manchester. I just keep mentioning him because he keeps posting on house. social media on Instagram and he keeps tagging Manchester so that everybody knows. Hey, I'm I'm right here, guys. Just in case you're looking. I think I think after all the trolling that United fans uh, have done for Liverpool and the Europa League and all that, I think we're probably going to see them in the Europa League very soon. <laughs> then get mauled by them. Welcome, welcome. Please, um, with open arms, I welcome you to Tier 2 of Europe. Um, just just uh, the last time we were in Europa League, we actually met uh, United in the first knockout stage of the tournament as well. So, yeah, please, uh, looking forward to that. I would not mind that at all. That will be proper box office. Okay, on that note, let's talk about Liverpool a bit. Why not? Um, so, no wins in the last two Premier League games, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, probably a resurgent Everton, if you can call Everton resurgent. Interesting game coming up at Merseyside. The Merseyside derby, lots of fashion as ever. And Radha's conflicted loyalties about whether I support the team's jersey that I buy or do I let my inside Evertonian out? What do I do? Uh, screw that! Uh, Everton can, Everton can lose seven nil for all I care this weekend. Um, no, but um, uh, I think you're right. Two games, one point does not read well. Does not sound good, but you have to put that into context. Um, uh, Spurs was just highway robbery, so I don't think we're taking that as a um, as a real loss when it comes to um, how it feels. Brighton, I think we deserved to draw. Um, there were, we should have won the game because we were 2-1 up for a long part of the game and then again forgot how to defend. And uh, definitely a point was the right result there. Um, so if you look at it from a two-game view and where we were two weeks ago, then yes, it's definitely five points dropped. Um, and that doesn't sound good. But if you put things in the larger context of where we were when the season started, and not knowing how our midfield is going to look, completely new players, not knowing how, coming off a terrible season last year, not knowing what to expect this season. Um, and if you add to the fact that Man City and all uh, have also been tottering around, so there's just three points now between uh, the top and Liverpool. And you add to the really important context, which we've finished Newcastle, Chelsea, Spurs and Brighton and soon Everton away from home um, in this early part of the season with Man City coming up in the next four or five weeks as well away from home, which means we have a lot of the big games at Anfield in the second half. Um, I think we're in a good position. If you had told me that this is the status that we would be in um, at the start of the season after eight games, I, I think I would have taken taken it any day. So in that sense, I'm feeling a little bit optimistic. Uh, about the game specifically, I think we started one of the poorest halves that we've played in a long time, definitely this season. Uh, started poorly, Brighton were all over us. Uh, we are a strong set-piece team, but Brighton just had us on our knees on on, on the set-pieces. Um, we This looked like a game that we really suffered by not having Jota. And so I think Liverpool has the best forward line in the world or country. Country for sure, world maybe. Um, five players of such incredible quality to rotate and bring on at different situations and we've used it so well already this season where we've been trailing in games bring on some bring on two new strikers or three new attackers and absolutely change the game we were unable to do that because neither Jota because of the stupid suspension or um, Gakpo because of the injury they were both not available I think that really hurt us and if you add to that the it was not the unfairness of the previous weekend. I think Liverpool fans can feel a bit okay. Um, it's very critical now that these four games go well. Leading up to Man City, we play Everton, which of course is the big one. It's an easy game for a lot of teams, but for Liverpool, it never is because it's the derby. But after this, it's Forest, Luton and Brentford. So if these four games and we're able to take 12 points from this from these four games, it's it's going to be a really good position that we find ourselves on, considering the teams that the other teams are playing as well. Arsenal have two tough games, Man City have four tough games. So, uh, considering all of that, I think the season is well poised. The other really pissing off part is that we're playing at 12.30 uh, local time again. This is what, the 
third or fourth time that we're doing Saturday you, lunchtime kickoffs you, you've after done internationals. This, you've done this uh, more than twice the other team, and I think this has been now it's raised as a concern. Out of it's twelve out of twenty-three or something of that sort. And yeah. see, I get, I get that Liverpool and Manchester United draw the biggest audience, right? But Manchester United has done it twice, and Liverpool has done it twelve times out of. 23 occasions where it's happened the next highest is 6 so it it makes no sense and it's obviously true for a lot of clubs but we have a lot of south americans as well in our team and they're literally flying in 24 hours 36 hours later playing a match so that's really pissing off i i feel like a sunday kickoff or even a saturday night kickoff would have been uh, would have been good it's a big derby i don't know why they have to do it at lunchtime but yeah, that's really irritating. And it's uh, the last time we played us a, a kickoff at lunchtime. Uh, you could see that McAllister was dead on his feet. I'm just hoping that doesn't that doesn't happen again this time around. Uh, but yeah, we have to play the cards that were dealt. Um, Everton is a team that we should be beating. Um, although they are also riding the XG turnaround now. They scored three goals at the last uh, game week. And they were, I think, one of the highest XGs uh, of any of the teams in the Premier League this season. So... Uh, definitely have been playing well and goals were the only thing that, that they were missing. With Calvert-Lewin uh, now fit and firing, they might be on the up, up, uptake as well. So yeah, dangerous game always because Liverpool versus Everton, even if they were 20th in the league, is always something extra. So it's a dangerous game. But get this one out of the bag and then three reasonably straightforward ones to come after that. I think this is the most critical part of the season for Liverpool. We need to get 12 out of the next 12 and then go into the Man City. I think uh, Andy Robertson is also injured. If uh, he's dislocated his shoulder, so uh, don't know how much that plays into this. Um, um, I, I I don't even think that Liverpool will probably need their defense. But obviously, Robertson offers much more than the defense. Right, he's the one who's like bombing forward. Uh, I know they have an able deputy in Shimikas, so um, maybe he would slot in. Um, I, I also read somewhere that Nunes might not be uh, fully fit. I think he had a cramp or something of that sort in the game that he played for Uruguay. And obviously, the early kickoff doesn't help. Uh, I know a lot, has, a lot has been spoken about this early kickoff. I think it is definitely ridiculous that Liverpool get the most number of early kickoffs on a Saturday. But I would also love to see how many... Uh, that same stat for 3 o'clock kickoffs as well. Because I don't think... Two and a half hours is going to make a lot of uh, difference. The fact that Liverpool get those early kickoffs is also testimony to the fact that people do want to watch Liverpool, right? Um, but no, see, I'm that... not. So, so Ashwin, I take your point about the 3 p.m. being only two and a half hours away, but that is the normal kickoff time, right? Every team is used to that. You have only one team every week which does a lunchtime kickoff. Now, if that is the case, then it is an outlier. Then you add to the oh, fact that it is, it is definitely an outlier. But uh, three o'clock kickoff is also uh, Saturday, especially is a is a is a, is a blackout in the UK and in Ireland. So you wouldn't want uh, you know a Liverpool match not being shown on TV. So I think that is the logic. Three PM is the is the main kickoff time on a Saturday. So obviously all the teams will have three PM kickoffs as well because that's the main slot on the Saturday. But my point is if you're doing one outlier which is the the afternoon kickoff and it's a totally different schedule, right? You basically don't train in the morning on, on that day. You basically eat breakfast and then go into the game game situation. It is different. It is a different routine which is fine. Which is fine for every other uh, week of the year. Right? But when it's an international break and immediately after the international break, there is always a problem of players traveling from all over the world and coming back. I think that needs to be more well spread out. Anyway, it's not a big deal that is going to change the life and death of the season. But it's still something, it's a discrepancy that, that doesn't make any sense. I think no team should have to do that more than other teams. Whether it is whether it was United because they have a lot of fans as well or Liverpool, it would still be wrong. That's not going to be an excuse. I'm sure Everton will have players flying in from South America and uh, Africa, I, wherever their their players are from. I'm sure they'll have that problem as well. But it, it needs to be more spread out. Is my only point. But yeah, uh, uh, and and honestly, personally, I hate the atmospheres in those games. So a derby at 12:30, I just don't get it. Moving on, uh, before we close, uh, any Bundesliga updates, Ashwin? 
the farmers league bayern is not top oh my god for now uh, but but it i think the problem is harry kane swag uh, like spurs are, are spurs top of the league now they are right they are they are, they are. They are, and uh, Bayern are third. So, so what, what does that say about Harry Kane? So there is uh, but, a very interesting stat that the, there is a Undertaker style streak versus streak that's on the line this season in the Bundesliga. Harry Kane has never won a trophy. Kingsley hmm. Coman has never lost the league. <laughs> they are both on the same team. <laughs> Okay. So either either Harry wins the league or Kingsley Coman loses the league for the first time ever. See, ultimately, I think what will happen is that longevity pays off, right? So I think the way uh, Bayern haven't aren't playing as bad as they were playing last season. Let me let me just add. I think uh, Xavi Alonso's Leverkusen have done a really good job. Uh, they're top of the table. Uh, that I was watching their game. I think it was against Cologne when this uh, won three nil. The style of play, that you know, the, the the way they attack. I mean, it it was just like picture perfect to watch. Like it was, it was, it was. They were so good to watch, and there is there is a reason that Javi Alonso is being already being touted as one of the uh, managers to succeed. You know, at a big club, maybe even Liverpool if Klopp decides to, uh, you know, leave them. Uh, but yeah, I I don't think I don't think uh, Leverkusen will end up being the champions. They'll probably push Bayern. To, to the limit, uh, and I think that is the best case scenario. Bayern play Mines, if not, I'm not wrong this this week, who are the favorites to get relegated. So uh, I would I would assume that you know uh, Harry Kane probably uh, gets his uh, gets his uh, much coveted trophy, and Kingsley Coman extends his streak also. Yeah, uh, Serie A, AC Milan are top. Um... I just wanted to highlight a couple of things. Uh, I think it's been a couple of weeks, so we've forgotten. Giroud went in goal uh, in the last game and even made a save. That should have been my talkie point if if San Marino hadn't turned up some somehow. Uh, but also interestingly, and this might have an impact on all leagues, uh, is this Serie A betting scandal that's coming out and the likes of Tonali and Zaniolo are already covered in this. There's already been a Juventus player who's been suspended for six months, if I'm not mistaken. And apparently, mm. there's going to be a new list of players that's going to be leaked later. So, keep an eye out for any players who've played in the Serie A in the last couple of seasons. And if you've signed them... I, I know players also play fantasy Premier League. Is that, is that like... Like a grey area, is that is that allowed? Because you will probably know who who's you know who's on the team sheet and all that, right? It's the the main point is it's a free game, right? So and there shouldn't be a problem. It's, Managers it's all, are not allowed. So players are allowed, but they can't be like actively promoting their teams. But mm-hmm. managers are not allowed. So because Ange Postecoglou was asked about this because he's an avid player and he said I can't play anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, but but I don't think this should be betting is about because of the whole monetary aspect of things is when it becomes a little tricky. Um, but but yeah, I mean, uh, Ange Ange did mention that. So if that is true, then I wonder why managers can't play. Trust Italy to come up with a new scandal. They're at the cutting edge, man. They're at the cutting edge, like the real cream of the crop when it comes to doing shady things in the world of football. Like anything you can think of, it's Serie A first and foremost. Then. Every other league follows their their league, example. League, league. Uh, but I think yeah, I think it's it's actually kind of sad what is happening to the Serie A because I remember when like as kids growing up that was probably the best league and all the best players used to play there. I remember like the original Ronaldo and like oh I mean Christian Vieri, Francesco Totti, and now if you look at look at the state of Serie A and you know how. What is happening to it? I think it is actually a bit sad uh, that all of these things are uh, happening there. Uh, I know Tonali no longer plays in Serie A, but um, I mean, his accomplices, if I can call it that, still do. For me, it's really sad to see like Italian clubs reduced to this. Uh, Just giving the perspective that an Italian side did finish runners-up in the Champions League and they had an all-Italian team semi-final as well. Uh, we can be sad for them, but it's... Yeah, I mean, it's just let's, let's, 
let's wait a couple of years to see who they paid off for that it will come out for sure talking about paying off referees the la liga barcelona obviously have this story developing and it will probably rumble on for another couple of years before things happen yes there'll be more levers to be pushed but that league is being talked about just for one person right now it's the jude bellingham league uh, this season there's there's nothing else no one else being talked about and this guy is so good at it. he seems so good at taking all this pressure he's like 20 years old kid and he's like yes i'm at the center of everything just give me all the attention give me all the drama i'm here for it i'm calling it balandor it's happening you have to wait for I messi think... to retire first no messi is winning this one so obviously this one is done but at, i mean the one the, the end of the one that happens at the end of the season which is essentially um, not the world cup one the next one uh, that's that's yeah. that's jude i'm telling you uh, it's after because messi is now no longer in the running he's gone to america ronaldo is no longer in the running benzema is out of it so we are essentially talking about mbappe bellingham haland perhaps somebody like a if if they have a good season salah when you're talking about these kinds of names you also think who is yeah sure yeah i mean that's a, that's a good shout um but um, if you're talking about these kinds of names then and you think about in these names who's also most likely to have a lot of success from from a champions league and league point of view i think it is real madrid so in that sense bellingham i think has a leg up over there and considering how in, in crazily important he is right now to the team already um so that's that's something that uh, i i think will give him a leg up uh, and i think for england also he's going to go from strength to strength he already looks like the main player in england uh, right now so i am balandor 2024 jude bellingham coming to a close so we have we've mentioned a few of the games liverpool versus everton is that the starting game of the weekend is it is it an early kickoff oh, by any chance <laughs> then we also have chelsea arsenal um, spurs are playing fulham uh, uh, city play brighton what what is the one thing you're looking forward to this weekend for me it's city brighton i i i would argue it's a bigger game than arsenal chelsea at this point in time uh, just considering you know where they lie in the table so yeah looking forward to that game yeah i have to it has to be the derby um it's a big game for for any liverpool fan any um in every why liverpool the, season why is the why is the chelsea arsenal uh, derby a big game for a liverpool fan yeah it's not a derby it's, it's i think at some... this point if two if two london teams play we just call it a match yeah there's so there are, many there are... Eighteen thousand London teams, and no, sorry, that's not a derby. And within your little West London circle, with QPR and whatnot, you can fight uh, for your little derbies. But yeah, so uh, I will still accept Spurs in Arsenal, but not Chelsea in Arsenal. Uh, but yeah, the derby, the Merseyside derby, definitely uh, is my pick for the weekend. Although I do agree with uh, Ashwin, I think Man City and Brighton are, is going to be a more important match for the for the table and for the season uh, but yeah as a liverpool fan definitely the merseyside derby is what i'm looking forward to a lot of crazy things have happened in the past a lot of crazy goals a lot of bad injuries a lot of red cards so yeah looking forward to that one yeah and i have to obviously go for the chelsea arsenal uh, game and uh, we shall see how all of these pan out and we'll see you again next week with the results of these games and uh, look forward to what's going to happen after that For the time being, that's all from us. Bye-bye.